Hi there, my name is Adam Waters and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. I'm going to be reading uh, Psalm 139, verses 1 to 16 in the ESV today, the English Standard Version. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. And when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me in my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being kept and made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Sorry, didn't mean to cry. When we read this, all of us should be crying. One of the blessings of marriage is that we can truly be ourselves in the safety of an eternal covenant vowed before God and others. We can really be who we're supposed to be. We can really uh, be known and be know and be known by our partner. In a healthy marriage, there's freedom in not worrying about whether or not our behavior, our attitudes, our emotions are going to drive a person away. Are going to cause them to leave. And there's tremendous worth and value in that. For myself, that's one of the biggest blessings in my marriage. I know that divorce is not an option, and so I can voice what I'm really feeling, even if it's wrong. 
I can think what I'm really, even if it's wrong, and I know that while it might not make Elaine happy, she's not going to leave me. And we can work through it together. As a, as a result of this ability of being able to know each other deeply, marriage is a place where um, God intended intimacy between partners and true knowledge of our spouses. Sometimes this can be a struggle. You know the phrase, the honeymoon has ended? We all know that phrase. Little annoyances begin to be big annoyances. And let's face it, marriage can be a struggle. Ephesians says that we as the church are the bride of Christ. He is our husband. The amazing thing is that no amount of morning breath, dishes left in the sink, unrinsed, laundry on the floor, annoying little habits, or even pet sins can drive him away from us. He knows it all, and he loves us anyway. That is what is so amazing about the grace that God has shown us, the love that God has for us. But, you know, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes we go through our day-to-day life and we feel far from God. We don't feel the love of God. And let's be honest, sometimes in in the church we downplay the importance of feelings. Feelings matter. Feelings matter. They round out our existence when we approach God with our whole being, first with our thoughts, then with our feelings. We often live under the assumption that he's not there because we don't feel. Wouldn't you like to realize that love of God more often in your own life? Wouldn't you like to go about your day-to-day knowing that God is with you, that God is there, that God sees you in love, that God wants to be there with you? Now, there's several reasons why we don't feel whether uh, God being close to us or recognize God's love from us from day to day, but it's and one and very important reason is that we fail to truly understand the depth of God's knowledge of us. And this is really the sum of today's message. It's knowing that God knows you intimately is necessary for you to know how God intimately knows you. We need to really get our hearts wrapped around about the depth of God's knowledge of us. Now, I'm sure you have gone through life or had seasons in your life where you wandered. I think all of us have. God uses those moments to teach us, to mold us. Psalm 119 says that because of the affliction that happens to us, it's good, actually, because it brings us back to the Lord. It teaches us that he is our healer, that there are no other saviors beside him, that he is the only source of true life anywhere in the universe, no matter what we convince ourselves, uh, he is the one. It's hard to worship, though, every day, and that's our series, Everyday Worship, when we don't feel the love of God. It makes our Christianity bland. It makes it flat. It makes it void of any kind of life. Simple obedience. It's hard when we're just simply obedient. Fortunately, we talked about over the last several weeks that that it's not just our obedience that gets us there. That it's our trust and our relationship with God. And so we're going to continue sort of in that vein here. The Bible says that when we stand before Jesus, we will know and be known. So the goal of the Christian life is that when we die and we meet Jesus, we're not meeting a stranger. We're meeting somebody that we've met here and walked with our entire life. And it's so important. Psalm 119, the psalm for this morning, is a psalm of David. Now, David was part of God's grand plan uh, for all of salvation, and he knew it. God revealed it to him. And so when we read these words of David, 
about how God knew David and how God knew what David would do, David's purpose in life, his plan for him, all I could say is such knowledge is too high for me. I cannot attain it. He marveled at the fact that God knew him so deeply. And this is what we need to understand in order for us to marvel in everyday worship. So let's look at what David says. The, the 16 verses are broken down into three sort of movements, three ideas that he's talking about. The first is that God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself, which is contrary to what we sometimes think, because we think we know a better way. Well, I know the way forward better than you do, Lord, yet God knows you better than you know yourself. Listen to what David says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. We spend a lot of time, part of it's just being in societies, part of it's culture, a lot of it has to do with our upbringing. We learn to wear masks. Either we fall in a certain place in our family in terms of birth order, or there's a broken relationship, or there's some situation that forces us to live differently than the way God made us, and so we begin altering the way we behave, sometimes even the way we think. So pretty soon we can get so far down the road, we don't even know who we are anymore. I have a lot of friends who struggle with addiction. I'm a recovering addict, and we talk very often about when they get clean, suddenly they say, I don't even know who I am. Not just the fact that I used, or not just the fact that I've gone so far down this path, but the fact that now that I'm back, I'm not sure who is the real me. So a grand portion of recovering from traumas or addictions or uh, broken relationships is learning who you are again. It's really sad the kind of ways that we fill in the blanks searching for our identity. When God knows who we are, that God knows who he intended us to be. And it's to him that we should look in order to find that identity. I mean, listen to what he says here in verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. All of my ways are acquaint you're acquainted with. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all together. I'm on TikTok, and there's a couple of videos that I see very frequently where somebody, it's, it's someone talking jazzy, basically, okay? And someone else who's the believer is about to say something. And before he even gets there, they pause, and uh, like a thought bubble comes in, like the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh, you're not going to say that. That's how intimately the Holy Spirit is with us, that he knows what we're going to think. He knows what we're going to say. He knows where we are. He knows our paths. He watches us because he's with us. Wherever we go, we take the Holy Spirit. He knows our every thought, every emotion, every intention. Nothing is hidden from God. Now, you might say, how scary. How scary. And it's true. In our sin nature, in our sinfulness, we consider God looking upon us as something to be feared. And we often seek to escape him, convincing ourselves that God does not see, that God does not know. So how is it that we go forward then? If God knows our every thought, every emotion, every intention, how is it that we can find true intimacy when sometimes, frankly, doesn't it feel like, I don't know about you, but for me it feels like sometimes just like God's waiting. God's waiting. The answer is Jesus. 
Jesus Christ created a situation through his death on our behalf that eliminated, that removed the obstacle that separated the Father and us. And because of that, we can interact at a deep level with the Father despite our sin, because it's been dealt with. Now, think about that in the context of marriage, about knowing that God has made an eternal covenant to you for your good, to love you, to always be with you. And that even in the face of your struggles and in your failures, God is there. God is there. Waiting to walk with you, waiting to be with you, waiting to know you and be known by you. That intimacy we all crave. I mean, some of us are single. Some of us are married. But we all know that yearning in our heart. We might call it romance. We might call it companionship. We might call it, but at the core, it's really intimacy. To love and be loved. To love and be loved. You see, God loves us this way. God knows us so well, and despite that knowledge, continues to be for our good. Thank you, Jesus, for that truth, that I can walk in freedom, that you can walk in freedom from day to day, knowing that God is not waiting to drop the hammer, that God is not waiting to punish you. In fact, because of what Christ has done, that punishment is forever taken away. And in that grace, like any loving father, he seeks to be with you, and yes, will sometimes discipline you to bring you back to where you should be in deep and abiding relationship with him. Isn't it? Don't you crave that? I crave that. I want to live a life that when I wake up, the first thought in my mind is, there you are, Lord. Often the first thing on my mind is, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do today? God's knowledge of us is related to his love. It's related to his love. And it's so close, in fact, in the Hebrew word, the word for to know and to love is the same word, yada. Yada. And to drive the point even further home, the word to have sexual intercourse, yada. You know, Adam knew his wife. God's knowledge of us and our knowledge of God is intended to be so intimate that it should mirror the most intimate of all human relations. We were created for that. We were created for that. David goes on to say, You hem me in before and, uh, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You think about God's protective presence surrounding you. What's interesting about this word here is the word is actually used in terms of sieges and warfare. So there will be people within a city and they would surround the city and basically starve them out. There's nowhere they can go. They can't escape. And David says, this is a picture of God's love. Now I can relate to this because I believe it's God's love that keeps me in my place. <laughs> it's not fear of punishment. It's not necessarily fear of discipline, and, I, and I'm ashamed to say it's sometimes not because I will not glorify him with my life like I've been intended. Sometimes I have to look at God's love in terms of he keeps me in line. We look at God's presence and God's law in the New Testament, the law of Christ, and we sometimes see these do's and don'ts. But I've heard this metaphor, and I think it's very helpful. Um, we, all, everywhere through the Bible, we're called the sheep of his pasture. Most people don't want to be called a Some people don't want to be called a sheep. I'm a sheep all day long. I have no problem being a sheep. I'll eat whatever looks right. I'll drink whatever looks right. Okay? Not good. So the Lord 
has placed a fence around us. A pen. He protects his flock with boundaries. And we look at the boundaries and we say, oh, this must be evidence that God is not for me, that God somehow is trying to control me. Yet it's out of his love. What we don't see, what we fail to see, is that if the fence were removed, what's on the other side of the fence? Wolves. Often we look at God's do's and don'ts. We look at God's law. We look at God's commandments as rules for keeping us in. When we really need to look that through God's love, they are actually ways of keeping evil out. Keeping evil out. It's so amazing, this word about to, to know. It's so versatile. First of all, it's used like over 800 times in the Old Testament. So it's a very common word. It has some very important nuances. Another one is not just love, it's to care for. We see this in the book of Nahum, which I've never spoken on and never actually referenced. This is a first for me. Nahum 1.7. It says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And then it goes on to explain how he knows them by his tender care. That God's knowledge of you is what you exactly need. And it's for, for out of his love that he does it. What's even more amazing is God loves and cares for you exactly where you are right now. He does not say, oh, it looks at your resume of life, and he says, you're close, but clean things up a little bit more. And when you do, then we'll talk. God takes us with all of our mess. Everything. And he looks upon us as we stand before him in that state with the same love, concern, and care that he would if, theoretically, we were perfect. Maybe say it like this. God's tender care and love for you is the same right now in your mess as it will be the day you stand before him complete and whole in heaven. He loves you that much. He cares for you and knows you even more than you know yourself. Don't let Satan use the lie that your sins are too big for God. Now we'll say this, and we'll say, oh, of course that's not true, but do we live like this? When we're struggling with a sin, when we're stuck in a sinful habit or a sinful pattern, or we really blow it. We say something we shouldn't have said. We did something we shouldn't have done. What's our first response? I dare say it's often not, I better go talk to Jesus. <laughs> Yet this is what God desires of us. This is the reason Jesus came, died, and was resurrected on our behalf. That we too can have intimate knowledge and be known. For it is in relationship and intimacy with God that we overcome our sin that we overcome our sin. God possesses the power that we need in order to live the life that he has called us to live. Now, two weeks ago, I said that the route to everyday worship, in other words, intimacy, was obedience. Now, here I'm saying the route is uh, relationship. They seem to be contradictory, but again, the answer, Jesus. Jesus. Whenever we're stuck with a proposition within Christianity that two truths seem to be counterintuitive to one another, sometimes we make a lot of effort to reconcile these two truths. But here's the answer. It's always the answer. I'm going to give you a hint. It's going to make your life a lot easier. Jesus is the answer. We say variable one, variable two, they're unrelated, they're mutually exclusive. So we'll even go as far as say the Bible's wrong, God's wrong, I'm misunderstanding, which can happen. The much simpler answer is Jesus. 
Add Christ to the equation and see how these two differing propositions suddenly smooth out. So God knows you better than you know yourself because he loves you. He loves you. Second principle out of this passage is that God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, he goes on to say, you are there. David's saying, where could I go and not be where you are? Or say to maybe a better way, where can I go when you won't be with me? God is with us wherever we go. He says heaven, which in the Hebrew actually says the heavens, which can mean skies. In Sheol, we often read as hell, but in the Hebrew conception of what this is, suffice it to say, he could, he's just saying deep underground as far as you can possibly get. The uttermost parts of the sea, the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean, as high as you can go in the atmosphere, as far as east is from west, and no matter how far, God is there. God is with you. There's no place that you can go where God is not with you. Doesn't feel like that, though, huh? As we struggle through crises and we struggle through difficult moments, those phone calls that throw everything out of order. The words you never expected to hear. The struggle you never expected. The illness you never expected. We often ask, where is God? The answer is right there with you. The trauma Sometimes terrible trauma. And we look to God and say, God, where were you when this happened? He was with you. God is with us. Psalm 23, verse 4, preached on this yesterday. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. David's repeating here exactly what he's saying in 139. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only is God with you in his presence, he's with you for reason. He's with you for his guidance. In Psalm 139, verse 10, he says, Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. When we're going through things that just don't make sense, when we're down a path in the valley of the shadow of death where everything seems foreboding, dangerous, God is with us, holding our hand. It says, Your hand shall lead me. So we can worship God in intimacy, knowing that he's perpetually with us and guiding us. With us and guiding us. So when something happens, when we don't know what to do, let's train our hearts to say, God, you're with me, show me what to do. You're with me, show me. I have an idea of the direction that I should go. I think I know the answers, but Lord, guide me into all truth. Teach me what it means to trust you as you take me by the hand. Not only that, God's guidance, but God's protection. He says, your right hand shall hold me. In the Bible, God's right hand is basically equivalent to his power to save. His power. No situation that you are in, no struggle that you're struggling through, no circumstance, no person, no relationship, nothing is more powerful than God's ability to get you through it. Some of the greatest armies that ever walked the face of the earth were brought to nothing at the command of God's simple word. God is all-powerful and will guide you and protect you with his 
right hand, so let's worship him. We haven't looked into God and say, this is what happened to me. Why don't we praise God and thank him for what didn't? <laughs> oh, that driver's ticking me off. That's where I get unsanctified. I don't know, and I know you do too. Okay, I know you do too. I've said this before, but there are some people in the church who won't put the little fish sign in their car because they don't want to bring a bad name to Jesus while they're on the road. I totally relate to that. It's an area that God continues to work with me on. But God is there. When that driver's in your way, when you almost get, or when you get cut off, thank you, Lord, for protecting me. Not please, Lord, rain down. No, just kidding. God is with us in the day of trouble when up seems down and left seems right. And David knows this. Listen to what he says in verse 11. This, this, the whole preparation for this message, for some reason, this really stuck out to me. These verses were the verses that the Lord used for me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David's saying, when I'm in a situation where there seems no way out, when there's no clear path forward, in fact, any knowledge or wisdom I have is gone. I'm in the dark. God is there. God's not in the dark. God sees your situation better than you see your situation. God sees the situation as it really is. When I was in the Navy, I was in boot camp, and there was um, an exercise towards the end where we had to basically learn to aggress, so leave a smoke-filled, on-fire hold. It's in fancy ways, in room on a ship. And so the walls are hot to the touch. There's smoke filling the entire chamber. It's dark. You can't see anything. And how is it that you get your way to the hatch, get your way to the door out of this room? And it's, it's hard. It's hard. What they're trying to teach you is that when something like this happens, it can be very disorienting. You won't know up from down, left from right. Your only chance of getting out is holding the hand of the person in front of you is holding the hand of the person in front of you. As we go through life, as things seem dark and the walls are hot and your, your situation is so smoky that you can't see, let God hold your hand. Trust that his right hand, his power to save will lead you through. Sometimes it's going to be counterintuitive, isn't it? God, lead me out. No, not that way. Trust God. Trust God. Train yourself to trust him as he's leading you on your path, no matter how dark it may seem. No matter how cloudy it is, no matter how unclear the way forward is, acknowledge him in his presence. Because God is with you wherever you go. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And the final principle out of this passage, God created you. You with a specific person and purpose in mind. God created you. Don't say it like this. Say it like this. God created me. Let's say it together. God created me with a specific purpose and purpose in mind. He 
says, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Did you know that when you were being formed, from the moment that you became two cells, from the first two cells, did you know that before God created anything, he saw those first two cells? And he had a purpose and a person in mind And so when we look at our lives and we say, I wish I were different. I wish I was somebody else. I wish I didn't have, let me get vulnerable here. I I have a beard because I have no chin, okay? God gave me a beard as compensation for no chin. I was talking to somebody who had an awesome mustache. I said, man, I got mustache envy. I wish I could have that mustache. But if I did, it would make it even more pronounced, my chin. What do I praise God for? Do I worry about my chin? God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me exactly the way he intended me to be. And God doesn't make mistakes. That God created my life and your life and your heart and the way you look and what motivates you and your personality exactly the way he intended to be for a purpose. A purpose. There's meaning to what you do and who you are. And as we embrace that person and purpose, as God intended, we'll begin to live the life that God has always wanted for us. A life full of joy. Not always easy, but joy. God knows you personally. He isn't just the creator. He's your creator. God is your creator. Sometimes we lose sight of this. I would say very often we lose sight of this in the natural order because we sometimes see God's means and assume that the means are the primary cause. So let me give you a for instance. I sometimes look at my paycheck and say, this is my money. I earned this. But really, God gave me that money. Really, God worked through you. So as you go backwards through these causes, you find that there's one ultimate cause to everything that occurs in my life. Everything I receive, every good gift that comes down from heaven, God is the prime mover. And so for everything, we should thank God. Everything. Because it all comes from him. And because he loves us, he gets us through the hard stuff. And because he loves us, he blesses us with the good. Sometimes we live like deists. I don't know if you guys know what a deist is, but a deist is a a person who conceives of God in this way. That God was sort of a cosmic watchmaker. He wound up creation, and and it set off, and now whatever happens, happens. That it's our responsibility to live the life that God intended, but he's not going to intervene miraculously. He's not going to necessarily work through us in any type of personal way. But God has sort of given us marching orders, and now we're off. That is not who our God is, and that is not what we were created for. We were created for deep intimacy because God wants this. He works through this with you, through creation and means in order to have that happen. The language here is just so intimate. So intimate. Last verse. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet 
there were none of them. It's a very interesting word here for unformed substance. Some translations just come out and say embryo. You saw my embryo. And this word probably means something very similar to that, but it's only used a couple of times, so it's hard to know exactly what's being said. But this is what's very interesting. The word is derived from a Syriac word, which means an uncultivated field. It's derived from that word in some way. Okay? So as I prayed about this, as I looked at this, I, you know, what is an uncultivated field? I see potential. I see unrealized potential in that field, something that's capable of creating food for thousands, for years, yet nothing, if it be but for cultivation and one seed. So not only does God see us as we're being formed, but he sees who we're intended to be and what our potential is in him. He sees who we could be, who we should be, who we should be striving to be as we look to him to define us and our identity. Sometimes we do the opposite. We seek to define God because we want him to make him more like us instead of taking our cue off of our creator. God knows the end from the beginning. He sees all of time in one indivisible moment. That means the situation that you're in, God knew about it. That means the sin you're going to commit next week, the one you thought you never would do. God knew about that. God knows you so well and has a purpose for your life despite those truths, even the, you know, especially the negative things, that we can find the freedom to worship every day and say, Lord, you made me exactly the way you intended to make me. Now give me the grace and give me the energy, the strength, the power that I need to live a life as defined by you. He's not surprised by your successes. He saw them. In fact, he gave them to you. He's not surprised by your failures. He saw them too. God has a plan for your life. And that plan culminates in your being conformed to the image of Christ. That means one day you're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to be like him. There are times when I pray, Lord, make me like Jesus and do it quick. Please. Because I'm suffering here. I'm suffering here. God in his perfect way and his perfect plan will bring us all to that point. Let's trust him. Let's trust him and worship him as we go. So our three points for this morning. God knows you better than you know yourself. God is with you wherever you go. And God created you with a specific person and purpose in mind. Because of these truths, there's nothing that should stand in the way of our intimacy, our relationship, and really our everyday worship of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes, and I'm uncomfortable even by myself. You know, I'm, I like dancing in theory. Like when in my mind I see myself graceful, cutting a rug, you know, like looking all awesome. I'm like doing these great moves. But when it gets down to it, I freeze. I have so about a hard time, I have such a hard time with it that even if I were in my room alone and it's just me and the Lord, no, I can't do it. I long for the life that I can stand before the Lord and not care about anything. And just know that God sees me. Every cell and molecule of who I am, he sees my soul to the deepest core. And he knows. He knows. And because of that, I can worship him without any distraction or any obstruction or any obstacle. Number one, probably being my heart. Don't you want that too? Don't you want that too? 
Lean into these truths this week. As you go this week, lean into the fact that God knows you better than you know yourself, that God is with you no matter where you go, and that God has a purpose and plan for you, exactly who you are. So let's worship. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you are with us no matter where we go. Lord, you are in this room right now. Father, let us recognize the fact that you are here, not only in our hearts, Lord, that we carry you everywhere, but you are here in this room with us even as we speak. Lord, we pray that you would make that real to us. Lord, as we go day to day, as we seek to live our life, let us realize that in the moments, the hard ones and the good ones. Let us seek the intimacy for which we were made, Lord, by knowing that you know us. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Teach us to remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media, at GBCElm. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.